Hi, Wine Delusters. And today I'm speaking with David Yates, a wine judge with WineWise magazine. Welcome to the Wine Delusters podcast. My name is Janine and I run a wine events business in Canberra, Australia. In this season, I'm talking to 12 specialists from the wine industry and the travel industry and asking the hard-hitting questions we all want to know leading up to Christmas on what to serve, what to buy and where to go on holidays. So pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. If you Google David Yates, you'll see a lot comes up with his day job. He's a very well-respected entomologist, which means he's a doctor in studying insects. But David's had a long interest in wine and worked his way up to being a wine judge with WineWise magazine's Canberra events. David also runs some fabulous wine enthusiast dinners here in Canberra, and that's how I met him. He's super knowledgeable and has a very sophisticated taste in wine, and I always learn lots from him. I think you'll really enjoy this insight into wine judging too. So please welcome David Yates. So this is a novelty because I'm meeting in person with my guest today, David Yates. So we'll get on to wine, but I think this is a really interesting career. Can you tell us how you got into insects? <laughs> yes, I think I was born an entomologist. You know, I was one of those. Um, so, uh, and I've always been interested in, I guess, biodiversity. And I know the biodiversity that's in your garden or around your home is insects, basically, and yeah, other true. terrestrial arthropods. So I always was fascinated by them. Um, and I studied, you know, I did undergraduate study in entomology in, in Brisbane at the University of Queensland. This is years ago now. And did a PhD there as well. And then uh, eventually uh, started doing postdoctoral work in the US, so in New York at the American Museum of Natural History. And I was working there for a few years and got to know the, the American entomological community fairly well. And there were some colleagues there that studied similar things to me. One of them um, was a good colleague of mine now, a guy called Mike Irwin. And uh, I'd always been interested in wine, you know, as an undergraduate, it was more than just something to get, get drunk at a party. It was always a little bit more interesting than that for me. And when I was in the US, I got exposed to a bit more wine, but this fellow, Mike Irwin, had turned out he was quite, a, quite a, um, an aficionado and he had a very large cellar and he lived in, lived in Champaign, Urbana in Illinois. And I used to visit him from New York and he'd host big sort of dinner parties and things and we'd open up uh, wines from his cellar and I learned a lot about, you know, other than Australian wine, I guess a lot of American wine, a lot of, he had a lot of Spanish wine. Spanish wine was big in America in the early, early 90s. Um, a, lot, a lot of European wine as well, a lot of Bordeaux. Um, and I remember before the dinner parties, he used to open up the wines to check whether they were sound, but also to check uh, the weight of the wine, so he knew which order in which to serve the wines. And this was always like witchcraft to me. I could never really at the start work out exactly what he was doing. I could sort of figure out when a wine was clearly faulty, although I don't think we really understood much about Britannomyces or some of the finer points. But I never could really understand what he was trying to do with the weight, weight of the wines. Now, of course, I can, but I remember then being mystified by it and fascinated by it and the, the effort he would go through to make sure he didn't serve a really heavy wine at the start of the meal. Yeah. It should have been the way around. A anyway, um, I spent uh, many, many, um, yeah, very, very, uh, very enjoyable uh, 
evenings round round the dinner table with him and colleagues at, in Champaign-Urbana. And uh, he now has retired and lives in um, Arizona. He, of course, took his cellar with him to Arizona, so he's now got a great big um, fully air-conditioned cellar in, in his beautiful home in Arizona in Tucson. And I visit him there now too, and we still do that sort of thing, still have those dinners. That sounds fantastic. He, uh, yeah. he, was, um, he started collecting Bordeaux just about when uh, Parker... I think gave the 82 vintage a really, really high uh, accolades and he had lots of 82s and he also had lots of 90s as well wow. as Bordeaux, which is really, really um, impressive. And, you know, I don't, Bordeaux in the US back then wasn't that expensive. It wasn't the stratospheric prices it is in Australia now. Mm. Yeah, because that's the thing in Australia, because I think in the early 90s I was just coming into drinking age and not to age myself. <laughs> but, um, but it was a very much Australian wines everywhere. There wasn't sort of a lot of diversity with other countries. So that would be very exciting to go and see all these other wines from different countries when you mm. went over to America. Yeah, and of course, I uh, finished my studies over there in New York and came back to Australia and uh, ended up with a job at the University of Queensland as a, as a lecturer there in entomology. And Mike uh, Irwin had a sabbatic coming up, so he came and visited me in Australia for six months on a sabbatic. Uh, and that was fun. And I learnt when he arrived and we were studying together and obviously, you know, sampling a lot of good Australian wine together that um, he knew, knew Edgar Reek quite well. Edgar was an entomologist. Oh. And so the three of us were entomologists and Mike had met Edgar in South Africa when they oh, were right. both doing field work there and just sort of happened to meet up with each other at one point. And uh, obviously, you know, sampling... South African insects and wine. And, uh, <laughs> That's cool. And, and Mike used to tell me that Edgar was a bit like a father figure to him. He really admired Edgar's both um, professional talents and his, um, his palate for, for, yeah. uh, for Well, he's one of the wine. fathers of the Canberra wine region. That's right, and it turns out that he's quite, uh, quite, quite well known in the Canberra district for being one of those three founding fathers. Yeah, yeah. Lake George Winery. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you now do some judging with WineWise magazine. Yes, that's right. Um, so after I uh, had uh, uh, been in Brisbane, I think for about seven years teaching there, a position came up in Canberra in the National Insect Collection, and that for me is a is a major professional sort of institution and piece of infrastructure. So um, I decided to up stumps from Brisbane and come to Canberra. Um, and I'd been subscribing to uh, Lester Jesberg's WineWise magazine for a number of years in Brisbane. It had no advertising. It was really, the reviews pulled no punches. Um, I really, it was the sort of magazine that I liked to get, yeah, that's uh, great. To, get uh, to, to get a sense of the, of the wines, the wines that I might like. And I, I used to sort of buy wines based on Lester's recommendations mm. in that magazine. Um, and when I came to Canberra, I'd only been in Canberra a couple of months, you know, looking for things to do. Um, Lester had a wine was tasting on at, at a venue in town and I wandered along and there was Lester and I got chatting to him and, and uh, he's always looking for stewards and things to help out um, with his tastings and with the wine shows that he runs and so I, um, I was invited along to, to be a steward there and so that's essentially pouring the wines so the judges don't ever get to see the wines because it's all tasted blind. Mm. It's a very important job. It sounds a bit trivial, but but stewarding and not mixing up the yeah, a lot of responsibility. Is actually, 
it's it's uh you have to keep your wits about you. Yeah. Um <laughs> give the wrong line the points, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And well if you give the if you mix up the pause in front of professional judges, my goodness, you get in trouble. Anyway. Um so I did that for, for many, many years and uh gradually um started to get involved in, in tasting tasting the wine and, and sort of judging the wine and eventually I was allowed to become a an associate judge for the two shows that Leicester runs here in Canberra, the Small Vignerons Awards, which he's just finished off this year, and and the Wine Wise Championship is the other show that he runs in, in February. And so I was a, an associate judge there for a few years, and uh, eventually now I'm a fully-fledged uh, judge with, with Leicester shows. And, uh, and I joke with people, I think it took me about four years to get a PhD, but about 15 years to... <laughs> <laughs> to, to to where Lester thought, oh, you know, his palate's okay. <laughs> You're a he friendship. Can, he can start. <laughs> well, his points will count from now on. <laughs> yeah. It's all volunteer, isn't oh, it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think there's worse things you can do with your with your time than t- tasting wines. <laughs> well, it's it's again, it's a bit like sharing. It's harder than you think. Yes. Well, at least for me, yes, I mean, I mean, pressure. it takes a lot of concentration. It's a bit. Um, I look at it as a bit like um, mindfulness or. Um, or meditation, you really have to focus on the wines. You can't just drift off. Um, people have entered those wines and, and paid good money to enter them. They want, they want, you know, judges to really focus on on the attributes of those wines and Which, judge them I, seriously. Yeah, mm. like you don't have the label to distract you or anything like that. So you, just yeah. you know, ten or twenty glasses in front of you. And you've got to make, um, yeah, you've got to really make a, a critical assessment of them. And so it's really really can be, um, it's fun in a way, but it's also challenging and draining. So by the end of the day, concentrating for you know, six or so hours, it can be uh, yeah, pretty tiring yeah. as well. And of course, you don't never drink any of the wine. You've got to spit it all out. Oh. So, so there's, yeah, there's no drinking of any of the wine. So it's, um, it's also, yeah, it's always good to have a bit of a, a glass of beer at the end of the day. Uh, actually, like... I have a question. I went, did a virtual tasting recently and they provided mm. some um, coffee beans to smell in between the wines to sort of clear. Mm. Do, you, mm-hmm. do you do things like that? When Not you're coffee tasting? beans. But we do other things. Sometimes if, the, if you're tasting a class of really tannic young wines, like young Cabernets, the tannins can really build up on your palate. So what judges sometimes will do is have a little glass of milk. So oh. that really just clears out the tannins. Yeah, right. And seem, seems to... Um, and sometimes green olives can, can mm. sort of reduce the, the tannin load um, that you're, you're carrying. But um, white wines generally, um, they're not too bad. It's just the classes of young tannic red wines are the real yeah. challenge for me anyway for judging. Oh, that's some good tips there. Thanks, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we're here for the big questions. So what would we find on your table on Christmas Day? Ah, uh, well, um, depends on what food. I'm having, and usually we would have a big seafood lunch for Christmas Day with my family. So, you know, prawns and uh, oysters and scallops and Balmain bikes, those sorts of things. Uh, so I'd probably start with a vintage champagne of some sort. So a, a Paul Roger or Charles Heidsack. Um, and I think uh, another good wine that would go well with that sort of uh, meal would be... Uh, a nice um, bracing Riesling from the local area. Yes, so yeah, Canberra's. Potentially Collector or, or, you know, Alex Mackay's or Nico Leary's Riesling, Ken Helms Riesling, but lovely Rieslings in the Canberra district. Mm. Um, nice, uh, yeah, nice um, Sydney Rock Oyster from the south coast. 
That would be good. Would be good with a local riesling. Uh, and then I'd probably move to something heavier and still in the white wine area. I'd go to Burgundy, probably with a Merceau, probably a Premier Cru Merceau from Burgundy with a few years age on it, maybe um, Leclerc or something like that. But then I'd go to a Pinot after that, probably from my favourite village at the moment is Maurice Saint Denis, so I'd probably go yes, for a, either Premier or even maybe a Grand Cru if I had the if I had the pennies um, from Maurice Saint Denis. Oh, sounds like a very lovely Christmas day. <laughs> We're all wanting to come. <laughs> um, and what's your go-to wine gift that you would give your wine-loving uh, friends or family? Well, being a scientist and a bit of bit of a nerdy sort of academic type person, I would, I think, a really great gift would be Chances Robinson's Oxford um, Oxford Companion to Wine. So it's an amazing compendium of virtually everything you could possibly want to know about wine. So that's the sort of gift I think would be great uh, to give someone who's yeah. interested in wine. Yeah, that's great. So what's an Australian wine region that you've had a great experience at that you can <laughs> share with us? So I really love uh, Tasmanian wine regions. Tassie's so, such a small place. It's so sort of quaint and cute. Mm. And, uh, and there's some lovely vineyards and great winemakers really close to Hobart. So you can fly into Hobart and just drive up along the Derwent River to that Derwent Valley area. So there's some beautiful winemakers there. I'm thinking of Stefano, Ljubljana, Derwent Estate. Uh, there's some other lovely wineries in that area too. Then go across the, the Derwent River there. There's a bridge there. I think you go across to Bridgewater, I think it's called. And then you can drive down another road there. Um, turn, we're turning right at that stage back towards the coast. And you can go then past beautiful vineyards in the Coal River Valley. So you can look at the Toll Puddle Vineyard. You can't drink wine there because there's no cellar door, but the vineyard's beautiful. Then you can go along to Pooley and Clements Hill and um, some other vineyards as you get closer to Hobart. But that's a both um, you know picturesque area. There's lovely food in that region as well. If you go up to New Norfolk, you can go to the Agrarian Kitchen, which isn't far off that yeah, track. Yeah, great. But you have to book in months ahead, but uh, you can... You can get yourself a lovely, a lovely lunch on the way too if you plan the trip out. That sounds great. Yeah, I mm. went to the Coal Valley a few months ago, and it's a great time and, and fantastic Pinot in that part of the mm. world as well. So. Yes, they really get the the vines are getting of an age, and I think the wine making is really improving down there. So, um, so the Pinots are really becoming more and more delicious, and the, I think the climate's warming up, so there's some lovely Chardonnays coming out of Tasmania yes. too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So when the borders open. Which wine region would you like to visit? Before the borders closed in early 2020, I had awarded myself a gift of uh, an overseas trip to Portugal. That sounds great, yeah. Which, of, co of course, was completely all cancelled. Uh, uh, but I've got a voucher for the flight, so I will go again, probably in 2023. But, um, yes, yeah, a, a Porto um, to sample um, vintage ports. I love, uh, I love vintage ports. I love some of the dry red wines that are now being made in Portugal from their endemic varieties and I drive up the Douro Valley and cross over into Spain and then drive across towards the, we'll go, go through um, the Ribera del Duero region and then across to Rioja. Mm, that sounds great, that sounds mm. like a great road trip. And how long, do you know how many kilometres that would be, like how long that would take? Or? No, but it's not very far, yeah, in, in right. Australian terms it's it's not far at all, yeah. you, know, you, you could... I think you can sort of drive from Madrid, Madrid up to the Rioja area and you know, it's less than a day's drive. It's, none of it's very, 
very far. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that sounds awesome. Thank you very much, David. That's mm. it. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thanks, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. Go to wanderlust.com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter and hear of all upcoming events, news and merchandise. Till next time, happy wine travels.